Well, it's a thrill to be here today. Um, I've known Aaron uh, now for a few years and um, just really, really grateful for the chance uh, to, to get to share a little bit from the word with you guys. Uh, Hunter Melton, uh, who's one of your ministers on staff here, he lived with us in 2013 in England. And uh, so if you need any dirt on Hunter, I've got some good stories from, from the past. Bill Farrell and Chris, Bill was instrumental um, in setting up the organization uh, that we went to the UK with um, way back in 2010 and 11. Um, so Bill, thank you for all the uh, hard work and investment in the gospel already in Europe and really appreciate you guys. Um, so it's a thrill. And honestly, I, I've been ta- texting with Nathan and Lena this morning. Uh, they're actually up in Teesside today, which is where we lived for nine years, uh, meeting with our 10-2 team there. And, um, and so it's really cool that this church is so connected relationally with what God's doing in Europe uh, through your local, you know, local folks on the ground here. So really, really grateful. And then Eliza is serving in Normandy uh, on the 102 project, uh, working with refugees. I'm, I'm sure you understand the migration that's happened. Uh, you might not be, I don't know, but the migration that's happened across the continent of Europe um, way back seven years ago with all that was going on in Syria and Iraq and Iran. And, you know, there's been flood of, of refugees from way back in 2015, one of the stopping points is Caen, which is Normandy. Uh, they want to get into the UK, and they get all the way to there, and then they get stuck. And so what Eliza's doing uh, in ministry is working with refugees with our ministry there on the ground in Normandy. It's really cool what God's doing. Loads of Muslims uh, coming to faith there. Really, really exciting. Then obviously you know what's happened in the last eight weeks, 12 weeks with the Ukraine refugees uh, I, I don't know the latest number, but just a few weeks ago, it was 5 million refugees have left the Ukraine um, and are being dispersed all across Europe and other places. So wild stuff going on on the continent of Europe. I'm going to give you a quick snapshot of, of how I uh, got to Europe. I was a youth pastor in America. I didn't grow up in church, got saved on a Young Life backpacking trip. The guy that discipled me was uh, uh, the first minister I met really uh, was a youth pastor at University Baptist Church in Fayetteville, Arkansas. And uh, I always tell people if he'd have been a Methodist, I'd be a Methodist. If he'd have been a Presbyterian, I'd probably be a Presbyterian. But he was a Baptist. So he started discipling me, uh, and he saw things in me that um, nobody else saw and was part of the journey of me surrendering to full-time ministry. So I became a Christian in 78. I served on staff at my first church in, in 1981. I was a freshman in college. So then I did youth ministry in America for 30 years before we moved to England. In 2005, I was on a mission trip in the UK, and I was blown away by the lostness of England, okay? Right now, currently in England, less than 3%, less than 3% would profess to know Christ as their Savior. Um, So that means if I walk down the street, I'll be there this time next week. Uh, If I walk down the street in England... A uh, hundred people walk past me, 97 of them don't know Jesus, right? That's 3%. Um, and then the continent of Europe is actually worse. So what once was the brightest candle? We got the Reformation from Europe. We got the first and second great awakening from England that rippled across and formed our nation as it is, uh, as it is right now. Um, less than 2%, if you run the numbers all the way across, Europe is under 2%. So you factor in the UK 
And you factor in Romania and Ukraine, which are actually like Romania is like 4 or 5%. Ukraine is about 5% reached. The rest of Europe is way below that. And so the number averages out to less than 2% of people on the continent of Europe would profess to know Christ as their savior. So missiologists would call that an unreached people group, right? You don't think, I never thought of England and Europe as an unreached place because of all that's happened there spiritually that changed our nation or formed our nation. And so it was a, I was blown away in 05 at the lostness of England. I was actually, uh, journaling. I was by myself. Cookie wasn't with me on this trip. And I wrote in my journal, God, is this a place we'll spend significant time and life and ministry, a season of our life? And that was 05. By 2010, we'd made the decision to move there. In 2011, we moved there. We lived nine years on the ground in England. Uh, That's where Hunter came and lived with us for a season uh, for the summer of 2013. I can't believe it's nine years ago. Uh, He was so young, man. And so I have great stories um, about Hunter. But anyway, uh, great, great worker. So connected. Understands relational ministry. Really, really amazing. Uh, Great leader. So really, really grateful he's here on this amazing staff. Um, But yeah, we so we moved there, did life there in 2020. COVID, that thing happened. And uh, we had just gone off a visa, so we didn't have health care there. So we moved back to America. So we're kind of based out of Fayetteville, Arkansas right now. We don't have a home. I'm the 60-year-old guy who's moved home to his mother's house. Okay, so I live uh, with my mom, which is so shocking to even say. But anyway, so Cookie and I live with my mom. Okay, now she's 87. She kind of needs us, so it's really cool that we're there. She has dementia. That's a whole nother journey. Um, but yeah, so basically, I'm not in the basement playing video games. I actually live upstairs, okay? And uh, I actually, my office is a closet, okay? That's a whole nother funny story. We don't have time to talk about that now. But um, anyway, so yeah, I live in a closet uh, upstairs. I, I function out of a closet. Um, and so, yeah, so that's what we've been doing. And we've been back to England uh, three times this year. We're going back tomorrow, uh, next week. Um, so really, really excited about what the Lord's doing in Europe. So that's just a quick snapshot. I wanted you to know kind of where I came from and how I got to be at this place today. It's an honor to get to share. And we're going to be back in February, uh, kind of casting more vision for you guys as a church um, uh, and a discovery of what it would look like to go serve in Europe. So this morning, I'm going to give you three pictures, um, three images, if you will, from Scripture that I hope you hold on to really for the rest of your life. Because I'm not naive enough to think that everybody in this room is called by God to change your zip code and leave and go to another nation. Okay? Now, oh, that you would because the world needs you, right? The nations need you to take the gospel. But I I know that that's not what God's calling all all of you to do. Mission is wherever your foot falls, okay? So these images we're going to talk about today from Scripture, these three snapshots, are really about you and I understanding what it looks like to live on mission wherever your foot falls, okay? And so it could be local, it could be, uh, you know, your neighborhood, could be your workplace, it could be that God does alter your zip code and you have to hop an ocean or cross a a, a state line or a national line and go do life somewhere else because God's stirring you to do that. All I know is 
um, we're all called to live on mission. It's a mandate from Scripture. And, and so, um, so I'm going to give you three pictures, really, to hold on to. I hope that the Lord really speaks to you and grabs your heart, and you kind of process and chew on these three images from Scripture, you know, for the next, the rest of your life, whatever that looks like, right? Um, and then I'm going to, you know, look at one last thought here of how we position ourselves to be used by God, okay? That's where we're headed, all right? Let me pray. Lord, we love you. Uh, we thank you for this chance. Um, God, we confess that we need you. Um, and so we pray, Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on this place. Fall fresh on me. Fall fresh on uh, these folks in this room, those watching online. And, and only do what only you can do, God, by your Spirit. So we, we thank you that um, you're moving and you're working. I pray you take your word uh, that's living and active and sharp and goes down deep into our hearts um, and do spiritual surgery on us today. God, would you do things in us that only your spirit can do by your word? So we, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So I believe, the, I believe that God is inviting you into a story that he's writing, okay? I believe God's at work right now. He's at work in your heart. He's at work in this community. He's at work at your workplace. He's at work in the nations, right? And so God is at work. Our responsibility is to say, okay, God, I'm going to walk, I'm going to journey with you, and I'm going to live my life on mission while you're at work. The cool thing is the Lord's writing a story, right? That narrative that started way back in the garden is still fleshing itself out, and he wants to use you, and he wants to use me. That either scares you or fires you up. I don't know where you are today, but that either flips your switch or you're like, oh God, I'm the only, I'm his, I'm your I'm your agent, right? So that that's kind of where we're at. God's writing a story. He wants to use your life. And so I want to, I want to challenge you with the idea that, man, there are, there are things that have to happen in our lives for us to be living on mission, right? One of the things we say at Greater Europe Mission, I love this phrase. I love this ideology. I love the DNA of who we are as an organization. The gospel moves at the speed of relationships, right? Man, I hope you never forget that thought. The gospel moves at the speed of relationships. Here's why. When I got to England, when Cookie and I moved to, to Europe in 2011, anything we ever tried to do in North America there didn't work. Like, come to church. Why would I go to church? It's a museum. It's archaic. Read the Bible. What? This, this book that we hold so true to our hearts and we believe is you know, inspired by God and profitable for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness. This book, we believe, is so powerful that God's doing stuff through the, the pages of Scripture as he speaks to us moment by moment. They would look at this and scoff at this. They would, they would not even recognize this as uh, important. They wouldn't even recognize Jesus as uh, important. They would, they would say he's a myth, right? And so... All those things we tried to do around kind of what we do in North America and church didn't work. But what, what, what does work? Well, you come alongside people. You go on a journey with people. You hang out with people. They're never going to darken the door of your church, but you get to know them at work or at a soccer pitch or, or, you know, 
in the park or at a coffee shop, right? So it's the gospel moving at the speed of relationships. It has nothing to do with this place, right? It's all about you and me owning our responsibility in the story God's writing and saying, God, I'm going to get out there and do life with people to advance the gospel. So the gospel moves at the speed of relationships. There's three thoughts there. It advances in relationships, it blossoms in relationships, and it produces fruit that remains in relationships, right? So I want to read a couple of verses kind of over you that I think are really, really rich about how Paul did ministry. The first one is 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, our very lives as well. Doesn't that sound so rich in the way Paul viewed how we do ministry? It's, it is about this book. It is about the gospel advancing, but it's about inner, this intertwining of our lives, this, this weaving of our lives together with people in the context of relationships that the gospel penetrates and advances, right? It's not something you invite them to. It's a journey you take with them right? As, as the gospel begins to do deep things. First, uh, also Philippians chapter one, verse three through six. I thank my God every time I remember you. Isn't that rich? He's like, man, you're so important to me, man. Every time I think about you, I thank God for you in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel, the way God has woven their lives together from this first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work and you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So it advances in relationships. It begins to produce fruit that remains in relationships. It blossoms in relationships. I love the fact that you've gathered here today. You are the body of Christ at the church at Avenue South. But I'm, I'm just challenging you to think outside the context of this gathering. This is so vital to you as a follower of Jesus. But a lost, watching world doesn't care about what's going on in this place. And if you're going to be on mission, you've got to see the world differently, right? You've got to begin to understand the context that you're called to live out missionally. So I'm going to give you three pictures today. I told you already, I'm the 60-year-old guy that moved home to his mother's house, okay? And so I was born in 62, and I don't know when my last breath will be. But all I know is between 62 and whenever that is, I'm living in the dash, and so are you. You're living in this moment. You have no idea how long you're going to be breathing, right? Right? But I want you to know your heart is beating today. There's air in your lungs today to advance the gospel, to live on mission. It's all about the dash right now. What are you doing as a follower of Jesus to live on mission in this world right now? I'm going to give you three pictures that I hope you'll never forget. You'll hold on to. The first one is that you and I need to possess the heart of a soldier. So we're going to look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. 
the scripture, again, Paul writing to, to young Timothy, he's the pastor at a church in Ephesus, a really, really challenging place. Paul's in prison writing this as his last book, his last letter. He says, you then, my son, be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus and the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable people. So this is this relational connection. What you know, you're entrusting to reliable people. You're discipling other people. And then he says, join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Now, I'm a military brat. I don't know if you know what that means, but my dad was a colonel in the Air Force, flew B-52s. And so I have no knowledge of military life other than being a brat, okay? Which means I grew, I was born on an Air Force base, and I lived on three Air Force bases as a kid, and my dad flew a really large plane, okay? And so uh, that's all I really, I mean, so I kind of get some of the military stuff. What it really means is, is that I am never, ever late for anything, okay? So if you grew up in a military family, you've either rebelled and you're late for everything, or you're like me, you're like, I'm never late for anything, okay? My dad ingrained that in me, that military life, and um, yeah, so I, I, I did all that, okay? That's, that's my extent of military understanding, other than this picture in scripture, and then what, um, what I experienced in the fall of 2020, I got COVID, okay, in the fall of 2020. I don't really have uh, a ton of time to, to binge watch anything, but back in the S- September of 2020, I uh, binge watched the Band of Brothers, okay, because I was quarantined, which I kind of did, I, you know, sort of, um, I still worked out every day outside and did that thing, but um, I binge watched Band of Brothers. Now, I don't know if you've seen this. It's brutal. It's a brutal series, okay? But it's about, obviously, World War II and, and Easy Company um, and kind of the whole Normandy thing and all. I mean, it was wild, right? So what a, gret- uh, what a debt of gratitude we owe uh, to that generation. But in that, in that series, there was a guy named Captain Winters, okay? I don't know if you've seen this or not. I'm sure some of you have. But um, this guy blows me away. He blows me away for a number of reasons. One, as, a, as an incredible leader and tactician, so blown away by the way he carried out operations and his orders. But more than anything else, as a leader, he always said, this is what we're doing, now follow me, right? It's not like he sent them into this fray without him. He was their leader, Okay. And what blows me away about that group of men in that series was because of their deep respect for him as a leader and their, you know, he was their commander, they did whatever he said. And so the first picture I want to give you is this posture of a soldier, this idea that as a soldier, a good soldier of Jesus Christ, I'm going to do whatever he says no matter what he says. And to their peril, many of those men laid their life on the line for a greater cause. And what blows me away as I think about those guys and as I watch that series, in my mind I'm thinking, those men had already predetermined no matter where the commander said we were going, we were going. And just like, just like 
this card and I toss it on the table, my yes is on the table, those men said, Captain Winters, whatever you say, we're all in. That's the posture you and I have to have as we live life on mission. We have to come to grips and say, no matter where you say go, no matter what you say to do, my posture is I'm going to have the heart of a soldier that says yes to you before I know the command, right? No matter what, my yes is on the table. And so one of the things I'd love for you to wrestle with today is, is your yes on the table? Are you open today for Jesus, the king of the universe, our captain, to say to you, I want you to share Christ with this person at work. I want you to cultivate a relationship for the glory of God. I want you to change your zip code. And before you hear that, you've already wrestled with and reconciled deep in your heart that your yes is on the table. God, no matter what, because I'm telling you, those guys in the trenches said yes before they ever heard him say, follow me. Powerful thought for you and me to wrestle with is your yes on the table. Are you willing to be interrupted today? That you have plans, you have dreams for your life. Are you willing to say, God, my life is interruptible. Wherever you lead, I'll go. Do you have the heart? Do you possess the heart of a soldier today? Where, you're, where you've wrestled with and reconciled deep in your soul that no matter where he says go, you're willing to go. And like I said earlier, it could be uh, he's calling you to cross the cul-de-sac this week and build a bridge of relationships with somebody on your street. It could be a coworker, but it could be that God's stirring your heart for another place across an ocean or a different zip code that God's working in your heart about. So are you or do you possess the heart of a soldier? Are you willing to say yes to the Lord in whatever context he calls you into. The second picture is um, as, as you and I kind of roll through and wonder what it looks like to live on mission, I think we, we're desperate to say, yes, Lord, I, I want to be that person. I'm going to have the heart of a soldier. But the other idea I want to roll through your heart today is this whole idea of possessing the heart of a shepherd, Okay. And so when you think about your world, right, and where you do life and the rhythms of your life, the context that you're living in, could be a university student, could be a, co, uh, a co-workspace, it could be uh, you're the leader of a company, uh, it could be your family. I, I don't really care, but do you, have you wrestled with this idea of what it looks like to shepherd and cultivate and look after the people that God's running across your life? Begin to see people differently. And so the, the scripture, Jesus gives us a picture in, in John chapter 10. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Right? And so uh, Cookie and I, like I said, we lived in England for nine years. There's sheep everywhere. Like everywhere. Okay? 
Um, there's not a ton of sheep in, in uh, Nashville, I'm guessing. Um, there's probably a few cows, uh, maybe, I don't know. Um, but I'm guessing there's not a ton of sheep around here. But uh, I'm sure there's some sheep shepherd somewhere. I don't know. But anyway, um, but the reality is in England, man, they're everywhere, like everywhere. You can't go anywhere. Uh, in, in, I mean, London, there's not sheep in London. Okay, sorry. There's, we didn't live in London. We lived five hours north of London. But where we lived, there were sheep everywhere. Lambing season's amazing, okay? Spring, like late March, early April, it's so fun. Little sheep, they're so cute. And they're fun that you can hold them and hang out with them. You can feed them. And it was always fun to just drive through the countryside and see the little sheep, you know, skipping. And uh, it was so fun. But then they become big sheep and they stink, okay? And then, and they're stupid, all right? And so there's a lot of challenges with sheep, okay? And, and one of them is sheep are, are not the sharpest knife in the drawer, okay? They're like a butter knife, all right? And so they're, they're, they wander off. They fall over ravines. I mean, we've been hiking through uh, different parts of England, and there would be a, a sheep fallen and laying on his back, and he, he, can't, he can't get over, he can't roll over, he's kind of trapped. And, and so, you know, there's all kinds of needs with sheep. And you need to see people, though, with this same mindset that a shepherd sees people with, right? What, what are they? They're, they're, they're needy, right? Folks are struggling all around you. Folks are hurting all around you. So what, is a, a, what does a shepherd do? The first thing a shepherd does is a shepherd is near. They're present, right? And so as you see through the heart of a shepherd, you possess the heart of a shepherd, you begin to see people differently. You're, you're present in their life. You're near them. But you see it from a different, you see it from a gospel context. A shepherd um, safeguards, looks after people, protects, right? So they're present. They protect. They, they begin to see with spiritual eyes. Um, what, is, what else does a shepherd do? A shepherd um, provides for people pathways to, to life and to freshness, uh, to safety. And that's what a shepherd does. That's how you and I can begin to, begin to help people journey towards uh, life and, and, and God's provision for their life. And then he cares and looks after his sheep. And, and that's really you and I understanding that wherever God's placed you, you're to look after people. You're to care for people, right? And so it's, it's living out this mindset of I'm going to possess the heart of a shepherd. I'm going to see people differently. I believe this with all my heart. Wherever God has you right now, he has you there for the gospel, he has you there. It's, it's not a paycheck. It's not, I'm in school. He has you there for a reason, right? Is your yes on the table? I'm all in. And am I going to possess the heart of a shepherd? I'm going to see the world I'm living in differently. And I'm going to try to do some of those things to cultivate and nurture relational gospel conversations, all right? So possess the heart of a soldier and possess the heart of a shepherd. The third image I want you to get today is it's really focused on Jesus and it's possessing the heart of a servant. And so um, there's a passage in, in uh, Matthew chapter 20, verse 26 through 28 is, is the whole context, but but one part of that verse says, the son of man did not come to be served, 
but to serve and gave his life as a ransom for many. It's the posture of a servant. In John chapter 13 uh, is the beginning of the upper room discourse. Jesus is hanging out with his disciples for about three years on on this big blue ball we call earth, uh, pouring into them, investing in them. And and we come to this, this moment in that journey where all of the disciples are gathered together. It's the last night that Jesus is physically alive on earth and he um, is hanging out with them. They've been doing their thing. And they get up to this room. And Jesus, after they had had a meal together, he got up from the table, the scripture says, in John chapter 13. And he took off his outer garment. Like there's so many images in scripture here. Jesus took off his robe, his mantle of authority, his mantle of leadership, his mantle of kingship. And he leaned down and he picked up a towel and he girded himself with that towel and he picked up a basin and he walked and he went to each disciple and he washed their feet. The king of the universe, Colossians chapter one, like 15 through 20 describes the supremacy of Jesus, the king of the universe the King of kings and Lord of lords. That guy took up a basin and a towel and he went person to person and he washed the sheep stuff off their feet. Right? I mean, you know, they they literally, most people in those days didn't have shoes. If you were rich, you had a pair of sandals. They walked the same, they traveled the same roads that all the animals did. So you know, I'm not... I'm not going to describe it anymore to you, but the reality is the king of the universe got on his knees and he washed that stuff off the disciples' feet. What do you do when you're the most important person that walks into a room? You serve. Jesus, the king of kings and lord of lords, took up the towel, took up the basin, and he laid it all on the line. His posture was the heart of a servant. Listen to Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus showed us what it looked like to be a servant. Do you possess the heart of a servant? We say regularly, often, um, the gospel moves at the speed of relationships. It's, it's our DNA. We believe that if, if in, even in America, if you're going to reach the next generation, it's going to be in the context of relationships. They don't really care about this meeting. People that don't know Jesus. You live, you are living today for the people that are not yet here, right? That's, that's the reality of this gathering this morning. And so as you and I live that out, the gospel moving at the speed of relationships, your work, your school, your home, wherever you go, you're fostering conversations relationally for the gospel. If we say uh, the gospel moves at the speed of relationships, the other thing we say a lot is live your life in such a way that people ask 
Why? Why are you like this? Why are you sacrificial? Why are you the first one to serve over and over and over again? It's that question. I live for that moment when somebody says, why? Why are you here? Why are you in this country? Why are you serving this community? Why are you giving away food today? Why are you, why are you, why are you? And it comes through this heart of a servant that you and I must possess that heart that says no matter what, no matter what title I hold or what position I have in the company, I'm walking in this room tomorrow in the posture of a servant. Why? Because the gospel's at stake. And people are going to ask you, why are you different? It's because of Jesus and who he is in your life and how he's reshaped your values and what you see people as. And they're created in the image of God for the glory of God, right? Living your life on mission. You must possess the heart of a soldier. My yes is on the table. You have to possess the heart of a shepherd. You see people differently. They're helpless and hopeless. They need a savior, Right, And then you possess the heart of a servant. How are you going to get into gospel conversations? How are, they, how are you going to live? You live your life in such a way that people ask, why? Right, I'm here to serve. Jesus, the king of the universe, the most important person on the planet, served his disciples, showed us the way to live life. I've wondered often in my life, why does God choose to reach down and grab that life and use it for his glory. So if you think about all three of those things, those, those three snapshots, those are like, those are like, you know, DNA kind of stuff, right? Like I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to possess the heart of a soldier. My yes, God's on the table. That's DNA. I'm going to, I'm going to possess the heart of a shepherd. God, I'm going to see people differently. That's, that's DNA stuff. That's who we are as followers of Christ living on mission. I'm going to serve the people that come across my life this week. That's DNA stuff. But, but what's, what's the next thing? Why are some people used by God and others aren't? Why does God choose to reach down and grab a hold of this life and use them for extraordinary things? I, I, I've been wrestling with that question for a long time, but I think it's about positioning ourselves for usefulness. Right? And so what does that look like? I'm going to give you four quick things I think are kind of involved in what it looks like to position ourselves for the gospel. The first one is health. Are you healthy? Right? Now, there's lots of parts of health. There's, there's emotional health, there's physical health, and there's spiritual health. I want to camp there first. As a youth pastor for 30 years, one of my greatest challenges is to get young people to Read the Bible, right? I mean, read your Bible and pray every day. That's kind of the youth ministry mantra, right? And, and it was always so hard because there's so many distractions and so many things. But listen, we believe in the power and authority of Scripture. And as it washes across our hearts and our minds, transformation takes place by the Spirit of God. And I'm just telling you, if you're going to be an instrument for change that God uses, there must be, you must be positioning yourself to be healthy spiritually. Are you saturating your soul 
in the word of God? Are you spending time daily in this book where the pages of scripture are not some ancient archaic thing, but they're real time in your life and it's a part of who you are? God speaks through his word and being healthy spiritually. So are you treasuring God's word? Is your soul saturated spiritually? Listen, there are so many deliverables for us today. You might be like pages and like you'd love to hear them. You know, you, you like to write in your Bible, whatever. Awesome. But listen, some of you are all digital now. And, and I am actually. I spend more time on my phone in the Bible app than, than in this paper book, right? Because of the way that's, that's my life. I'm on planes all the time and I'm wherever. And it's just like quick and easy, right? But am I, am, are you and am I saturating our minds and our souls in Scripture Even on the Bible app, there's a prayer section now. It's amazing. It's really, really cool. There's no reason why you and I, our minds and our hearts can't be captivated by God's word. There's no reason why your soul should be empty and longing for more of who God is because you've been given this opportunity to saturate your soul in the word of God. That's a part of positioning yourself for being used by the Lord. Are you praying without ceasing? Again, twin with the word that you and I open up this book and we say, God, I want to hear you today. I want, I want you to speak to me today. I want your word to wash across my heart and my mind. And you're talking to God about what he's talking to you about. That is the Holy Spirit at work as you pray without ceasing. Now watch this. As you and I saturate our souls and we're conversing with God and then the Holy Spirit is at work, we respond in obedience as the Spirit of God speaks. That's positioning yourself to be used by God. That wherever context you are, living your life on mission, your cul-de-sac or your your workspace, your family, or across an ocean, God's spirit prompts and we respond in obedience. My yes is on the table. That's practicing the presence of God day to day. Man, that's, what, that's when Christianity becomes so thrilling and exciting. It's not this rote box we tick. It's who he is in you coursing through your life as you live out your life on mission. It's beautiful. It's a wonderful thing to walk in spiritual health. The second part of health is emotional health. And listen, you know, in the church, we've, we've struggled, honestly. Um, it's like we've, we've said, oh, if you're not emotionally healthy, that you're not usable. You're not useful for the gospel, okay? All I'm here to tell you today is uh, I'm not an authority on you know, emotional health or mental health or whatever. I've done 40 years of ministry and hung out with a lot of people that have journeyed and struggled along the way. All I'm telling you is you are loved. And if you're struggling, find somebody to talk to today and, and begin this journey of wholeness, whatever that looks like for you. Because you need to be emotionally healthy. Doesn't mean you can't be used of God as you struggle through stuff. Listen, I'm, I'm continually struggling through right? Just the willingness to be used by God. And so as you wrestle with that, man, go go on that journey. I need help. I need somebody to talk to. Would you connect me with someone, right? 
Be healthy emotionally. And then the third part of health is physical health, okay? And I, I tell this story uh, not because I'm something or some specimen of physical health. I'm not. I'm 60 and I'm old and I'm a little pudgy, okay? But the reality is in 2008, I was in London coming back on a mission trip. I weighed 243 pounds, okay? I'm 5'11". That's not healthy, by the way. Um, for those of you that are sizing me up, he's really short. I can't believe he weighed that much. Anyway, so, um, but I was in London and this is what the Lord said to me, Mike, what if I want to use you and you're not physically able to do it? Seriously, God convicted me in 2008 and man, I got, that was August of 08. I weighed 243. I weigh about, I'm, I'm hung out with Aaron last night. We had uh, Uncle Julio's, is that where we ate? So I probably weigh 206 this morning because I ate too much last night. Anyway, but I, I tried to be around 200 pounds. So I lost 43 pounds. Um, and I say all that for, for a couple of reasons. One, it's about the dash, right? I want to go as long as I can, as hard as I can for the glory of God. So I started running in August of 08 in Houston, Texas, okay, flipping egg. It was hot, okay? And I ran, that's a term we use in England, by the way, flipping egg. Anyway, so I, I ran like Forrest Gump, seriously, uh, until I'm um, to this day. I ran this morning, okay? And so the reality is, I'm not trying to look a certain way. I want my heart to tick as long as it can for the glory of God. Cookie and I are driving to Little Rock in a minute. We could get hit by a semi-tractor trailer rig. Who knows, right? That's kind of morbid. Sorry. Anyway, but, but the reality is we don't know when our last breath is, but we have an obligation as best we can to be as healthy as we can for as long as we can, not so we can accrue and, and set up, lay aside trinkets and stuff for, from this world, but so that we can make a difference for the glory of God until he comes again right? And so the reality is I want to position myself in a health way, spiritually, emotionally, and physically so that I can do all that God has for me until my last breath. Okay. So the next thing real quick is, is there a sense of urgency in your life? Is there a sense of urgency? As you and I think about our world, and you think about the lostness of our world. Is there a sense of urgency in your heart for the gospel, right? Is there something going on in your heart about what could, what could we see, the lostness of humanity, my world around me here in Nashville, or my college campus, or my workspace, or beyond that, the lostness of what I believe to be the darkest continent on the planet right now, Europe, or to the uttermost, whatever other place God might be calling you. Is there a sense of urgency for you today? That when you wake up, you're thinking about mission. You're thinking about the gospel. You're thinking about the needs around you. So let me pray for us. And as we pray, as we kind of move into this time of prayer and this ending of the service, this really comes down to me for you and for me is, God, what are you calling me into? And am I willing to lay my yes on the table and take that step of faith and go, okay, God, I'm all in. I had some great conversations with people um, on the way out from the first service. Man, I, I'm thinking differently about my coworkers today. I'm, I'm, asking, I'm, I'm asking you to consider how could God use you in this journey of faith for the people 
around you, right? Living your life on mission. And would you be willing to, in faith, take that step this week? Maybe it's locally. Maybe it's you begin to process what it would look like for God to send you globally. All I know is when we step out in faith, we're basically closing our door on our comfort zone. And we're saying, God, wherever you want me, I'm willing to go, right? Locally or globally. Um, Francis Chan says, why do we need the comforter if we're comfortable? Think about that. The Holy Spirit is the comforter. Why do we need the Holy Spirit in our life, living this life of faith, if we stay in the realm of comfort? God's calling you out of that into this life of faith, the most exciting life there is this life of faith, and he wants to use you. Let me pray for you. God, we love you. We thank you uh, that you're a God of mission. And God, you've called us to partner with you, to, to join you in mission, wherever that is. And God, I recognize that in this room, uh, there, there's every generation, every season of life. And we pray that you would stir based on stage of life, season of life. And God, we thank you that you're a God of mission and you're calling us into that, whether it's locally or globally to change our zip code, to to move across an ocean or a different time zone. Um, And so we give all that to you. We thank you that you're at work. God, uh, until our last breath, we want to join you uh, on mission. And so we give you this time. We pray that you would give us a spirit of faith, that you'd move us out of our comfort zones, whatever that looks like in Jesus' name. Amen.